Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. Welcome back to our discussions of A Christmas Carol. Now that we have considered the overall structure of the story and the significance of the narrator, let's consider the first stave in detail. So, what are some of the key moments here? In essence, there are five main plot points in this opening stave. We are introduced to the protagonist, Scrooge, and witness his selfishness firsthand as he treats his employee, Bob Cratchit, meanly. Secondly, Scrooge is also mean to his nephew, Fred. Then he dismisses two men collecting for charity, so we see some of his political views in relation to the poor. Next, he frightens away the carol singer, demonstrating his utter lack of Christmas cheer. And finally, in the climax of the stave, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his old friend and business partner, Jacob Marley. But the novella doesn't begin with Scrooge himself, it begins with Marley. It's an odd first sentence. Marley was dead to begin with. And that first fact of the story is important. Marley was dead. Through it, our narrator leaves us in no doubt whatsoever that Marley is no more. Variations of the word dead and associated words such as funeral and burial litter the opening paragraphs, appearing at least a dozen times. So Dickens needs Marley's demise emphasised. That Marley is actually dead must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story. Since this is a narrative of ghosts and spirits, the reader must be left in no doubt that what happens in this stave has a supernatural origin. So, when our narrator alerts us to the idea that something wonderful lies ahead, it is our first invitation, perhaps, into the ghostly world of the narrative. And then the connection is made with Shakespeare's most famous play, Hamlet, that also contains a ghost, lest we be in any doubt at all. It is only a few pages later that we learn that Marley died seven years ago this very night. So, not only is he very, very exceptionally dead, but he has been that way for a very long time. So, we know that Marley is definitely dead. And then the next important detail is that Scrooge himself is cold hearted and mean spirited and seems to just hate the rest of the human race. Yes, the first adjective Dickens applies to him through the voice of our narrator is that he is tight fisted. The term is disapproving. Scrooge isn't willing to part with his money, and there are three exclamation marks which seem to increase the extent of his meanness. Oh! exclaims the narrator. Then there are a string of adjectives describing the old sinner. He is squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, and covetous. And a second characteristic is put alongside that it is his solitariness. His lonely, companionless existence, which is emphasised with a simile, like an oyster. The image conjures up something slimy, but also alone, encased inside a hard shell. In terms of the description of how he looks, cold oozes through it. We are left in no doubt that he is a horrible, unapproachable man. 
There is no warmth in his life or in his personality. He is impermeable. Neither physical things like the weather nor emotional appeals have any effect on him whatsoever. As well as building this characterization of the protagonist, Dickens piles in lots of detail in relation to the setting. Darkness, fog and cold pervade this section of the story, classic ingredients of the gothic ghost story. Because the character and the description of the creeping cold are intertwined, by association, Scrooge becomes a part of that cruel landscape. The next character to be introduced is Scrooge's poor, suffering clerk, who isn't allowed access to the coal on this freezing night. When he is eventually allowed to go home, late on Christmas Eve, reluctantly released, as Scrooge would have him working on Christmas Day if he could, his actions help to demonstrate Scrooge's character by throwing Scrooge into relief. The clerk runs out of work and goes down a slide 20 times before running off to play blind man's bluff. It is such a contrast to the character of Scrooge, who is going home to face Christmas alone, that the protagonist seems even darker and more miserly by comparison. later find out that the clerk is Bob Cratchit and his narrative is crucial within the story. Why isn't he named in this part of the story? Well, perhaps because we are being invited to see him as Scrooge evidently does. Initially, nameless, without identity, unimportant, and to emphasise the fact that Scrooge doesn't have any kind of personal relationship with him. The first interaction of Scrooge with his nephew also confirms his nastiness. The first words out of Scrooge's mouth are the infamous Bar Humbug. But by the end of the first stave and after Marley's visit, he is unable to form the word Humbug, faltering after the first syllable. The transformation that will be completed in the fifth stave is already beginning. Though at this point, we are still being introduced to Scrooge's callous attitude to those worse off than he and left in doubt about his lack of care, remorse and sense of collective responsibility when he deals with the next two visitors, two portly gentlemen collecting alms for the poor. At this festive season of the year, Mr Scrooge, said the gentleman, taking up the pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time, Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Not only does Scrooge dismiss them with nothing, he seems sarcastic, asking whether the prison, the union workhouses, the treadmill and the poor law are still in existence. And then Scrooge frightens off the carol singer, completing the bleak picture reinforcing his lack of cheer, his loneliness and his isolation. So, the scene is set for his first supernatural experience, his first encounter with the spirit world that will ultimately change his life. It is worth exploring how carefully this element is constructed. Scrooge's character has been established so that we are left in no doubt as to his nature. He is hard-headed and not in any way fanciful, but his armour, that hard oyster shell, 
is initially damaged by the creepy sighting of Marley's face in the door knocker, the first supernatural element to appear in the story. Thereafter, the factors pile on thick and fast. He thought he saw a locomotive hearse upon the stairs. Next, things start to become more tangible, assaulting other senses. There is the sound of the bells to accompany the movement. The cellar door flies open with a booming sound. The pace quickens again after that. The impermeable Scrooge is filled with dread. His colour changes and we are definitely in a ghostly world. Marley's physical presence becomes a reality and Scrooge feels the chilling influence of the spirit before he and the ghost engage in conversation. Yes, Marley appears as he did in life and even sits down on the opposite side of the fireplace to Scrooge as if he were quite used to it. But with one crucial addition... A huge chain is clasped about his middle and winds about him like a tail. It is made up of objects associated with money. Cash boxes, ledgers, deeds, heavy purses and some symbols representing his selfishness with money, the keys and padlocks. Scrooge must keep down his terror. The voice of the spectre disturbed the very marrow of his bones but he begins to understand the warning. He has had seven years longer than his partner of life, seven more Christmases. His chain will be longer and perhaps more ponderous than Marley's, and Marley makes it explicit. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. He then reveals that more spirits will follow him to haunt Scrooge. Without their visits, said the ghost, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. The stave has a truly spectacular ending, finishing with multiple ghosts. One ghost, or even the promised three more visitations to come, is not enough for Dickens, who finishes the stave with hundreds of them flying round. The misery with them all was, clearly, that they sought to interfere, for good, in human matters, and had lost the power forever. The recurring idea of mortality and changing your ways now is made manifest. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next pod. hope you enjoyed the episode don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge hit the acast plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need we also make gcse and a level content for history re sociology and psychology happy listening everyone